Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy here with you on uh, yet another, well, relatively busy week in the longest off-season in history. Um, geez, we ha- well, we actually have a great guest with- for you today here on the show, Chris Vanini of The Athletic. Uh, he covers the group of five schools, including UCF, uh, very active on Twitter. He joins us to talk about what's the latest state of the group of five in terms of uh, uh, COVID-19, uh, as well as uh, as well as the financial status of uh, of all the programs around there, and especially focusing on UCF. Great interview that we had with him. That's coming up in uh, in just a short little bit. We're also going to preview there, or rather review, I should say, the NFL draft uh, and uh, and the post NFL draft action in the free agency market so far uh, with UCF players going. Of course, Gabe Davis getting drafted by the Buffalo Bills—an exciting moment for him. Uh, who else might be out there that some NFL teams may give a shot to here? So, uh, but fellas, we're starting to get a little stir crazy. But apparently, May fourth, we get Phase One. Phase one, I, I guess, what is this that the governor's calling it? Phase one well, for the record, restarting uh, of the economy? Alluding, uh, yeah, for the record, Jeff's alluding to the state of Florida. We're a national podcast. We know we got night fans ah. out throughout the country. So be specific, Jeffrey. Okay, oh, we're okay. not these other okay. podcasts that just talked in our late. We're, we're national. Well, I was, trying to, I was trying to make one of my customary opening show bad jokes where I'm like, do we have, do we have to run at only 25% capacity? It wasn't only a bad joke, it was also an incomplete joke, so it's actually even worse. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> so we're off to our typical great start. Um, like we said, lots to talk about. We're going to start with our interview with um, Chris Vanini, who came out with uh, a couple of really interesting articles over the last couple of weeks, uh, including the most recent one. He obviously works for The Athletic, um, has one up there right now with Nicole Auerbach about, uh, about regional scheduling, the possibility of regional scheduling being... Um, being very real for uh, schools like UCF and other uh, teams not in the uh, uh, not in the power conferences, uh, and also he's got another. We'll link to these in the show description. Uh, the, his Group of Five survey that came out, which I thought had some pretty interesting stuff. So we talk about that and more with Chris Vanini of the Athletic. Joining us now from the Athletic, he covers the Group of Five schools. He's been a veteran of. Uh, of the sports reporting industry for not quite some time. Actually, used to work in uh, his old stomping grounds or our current stomping grounds with uh, SB Nation. Uh, he's also the uh, also broke breaks news on the coaching tracker uh, and was the manager of CoachingSearch.com. Now covering uh, the American and all the other Group of Five conferences for the Athletic. Chris Vanini joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Hey, Chris, how's social distancing treating you? It's uh, going well. All things considered, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I work out of home anyway, so not much has changed for me. But uh, <laughs> my wife's been getting a little bit stir crazy. I, well, yeah, all the, all the rest of us involved in the same thing too, man. So it's been, uh, but that hasn't stopped us from seeing a lot of news come down the pike here in uh, in terms of what football season is going to go, going to look like. I guess I'll I'll ask you this right out of the gate here. Uh, and if you'll forgive the expression, at gunpoint right now, when is the college football season going to happen, do you think? And when it does happen, what do you think it's going to look like? I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd say maybe we start in October. Um, I Obviously, maybe it starts on time. Probably not. Maybe they hold it to the spring. There's a lot of problems that would come with that as well. My guess is they'll want to get it going as soon as they can get it going, especially if there's concerns over a, a, a breakout of the virus 
in in the winter. You know, if, if we hold off until football in February, who knows how things are going to look in February? So I don't know. People people know they got to get football. They have to have football happen to make money and run their athletic departments and just generally have their day to day stuff. So. We'll see. I mean, I'm still a few weeks away. Every, still a few weeks away from having a real, I think, opinion on this. We're still waiting to see how many schools are going to open and if that's going to happen. Uh, so, it, to me, it's still a little bit wait and see. I think it's about mid-May when when I think we'll have a better grasp on things. What, what's the chatter among the group of five and coaches and administrators and and you know? Because I know you guys have done some surveys and things like that. Is, is is it optimism? Is it pessimistic? Is it like a, are people just divided on this as far as what they think will, could happen or will happen or should happen? What, what's kind of the vibe around out there? I mean, I, I think everybody's optimistic, but I, I think, you know, it pays to be optimistic. Nobody wants to be a, a Debbie Downer at a time like this when, when so much is on the line. I think especially with the group of five, um, especially for the, for the lower half of the group of five who, who play these buy games, they're concerned about a football season that doesn't have non-conference games, and that would that would take away a, a payday, a one million dollar payday maybe for a, a game at an Alabama or something like that. And those athletic departments do not have big budgets. Those buy games pay for a lot at these schools. So I think, especially for some of the schools who play the buy games, they're very concerned about a season that doesn't have uh, uh, non-conference games, but. Then again, it's better than not having the season at all. So, kind of got to wait and see. Chris, you wrote an article recently, along with your your colleague Nicole Auerbach, about the the group of five ads or or, or or the commissioners and ads kind of considering cutting down on travel for non-conference and conference games, possibly. And and you brought up there about like you know the buy games and that these schools you know need those buy games uh, to to you know as a, as a cash flow. But through, you know, maybe uh, uh, having games in a more regional setting, there's a possibility that those might be, be cut down. What are the financial ramifications uh, or, or what or maybe are some of the losses, some of the drawbacks that could happen with uh, a possible scheduling where a lot of teams are scheduling for, you know, out, inside their own region and not outside their own region? Yeah, a lot of the regional scheduling stuff, and you actually just saw it today, uh, uh, the Big East – the Colonial, and I forgot who the other one, maybe the A-10, in baseball announced, or not announced, but uh, D1 Baseball reported that they're going to have a, a scheduling alliance uh, among those teams on the East Coast there. And the idea is for those sports that don't bring in money, you know, they got to find ways to save money. You know, you can play a football game across the country for a buy game because you're getting a lot of money for it. You're getting the money back. You know, if, if you're a, a tennis, a volleyball, something like that, a baseball, you're probably not bringing in the money back so they're trying to they're trying to find ways to save money on stuff like that and i I talked to danny white um about it and you know ucf has been really good recently in uh the men's tennis team the volleyball team have been really good recently and those sports like everybody else in the country they'll play in california The, the volleyball team did a tournament in illinois and and you know i asked danny if 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 they're looking into any sort of scheduling stuff like that and he says there there might be a one-year pause he doesn't want it to be permanent he wants ucf and all sports to play big non-conference games play against the best because that's what ucf trying to get to but even even a place like that uh for a year they may look at playing more stuff that's local uh so it's something a lot of schools especially the group of five are going to look at because 
uh, that adds up. It, it costs a lot of money to fly a, a baseball team down south if you're up north or to fly a tennis team out to California. Um, and in any way that they can save money without having to cut a sport is really what they're looking for because we've seen a couple of schools cut sports already. And I was going to ask you about that. How much chatter have you heard as far as programs that are just concerned about, hey, we're going to be able, you know, they were trying to, the group of five sent that letter about maybe to stay division one, drop the level from 16 sports to 12 that have been denied. Uh, what, how much chatter is that? Because I have concerns throughout some of the schools in the programs in G5 and it might, you know, cross the board like a Tulsa or schools in the MAC conference that might be dependent on a television contract where they play football games on a midweek. Uh, how much chatter is that about, about how much, you know, potentially programs could lose uh, as far as not only the, the, the Olympic sports, but even football programs could be lost here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Akron has already announced, I think a tw- they want a 20% cut in the athletics budget. Uh, there, there was a call by somebody today that Kenton Akron should look at dropping football. Not that that's on the table, but someone was just saying that, that it should be, you know, Eastern Michigan a couple years ago was, there was a push by some people around the school to try to get rid of football. Uh, if you don't have football this year, I would not be surprised if you see some FBS programs either drop down or cut the program or something like that. If you don't, if you don't have football, there's going to be a lot of sports that are cut everywhere. Uh, it, it, again, it really comes down to they have to have football happen because whether it's it's not even just TV. It, TV's a bigger deal, honestly, for the Power Five where they have a bigger TV contract. The Group of Five TV deals aren't that much money, so it's a, it's not as big a part of the budget, but it, it's it's ticket revenues it's student fees you, you need schools to come back a lot of schools group of high schools especially rely on student fees uh that come along with tuition to, to pay for a lot of these, these things too so there's a lot of revenue streams in the group of five that uh they're going to need to come back chris you mentioned the tv contracts and the american just signed a new media contract with espn that is scheduled to take effect um this july uh the first the has what is the position or your sense of the position of the American right now, given all that's happening after they had signed that this particular TV contract? Are they in a better position than maybe they would have been prior to that? You know, given you know, given that there was a little bit of consternation in UCF circles about uh, about the length of the deal, but it, it, I get the sense that this was that this actually turned out to be a pretty good situation uh and a pretty good safety net for the american at this point even with yukon leaving what about you though what do you think about how the americans tv contract is looking right now well it's uh, some people i don't know if this is official or not but there are a number of people who think it's it's a bit uh backloaded so it's not like they're i think it averages out to what seven million and that's before whatever happens coming out of of yukon but uh, it's more Backloaded and it's not going to be seven million dollars up front. I mean, it's it's clearly the best Group of Five TV deal out there. It's 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 still a a, a bit of a bit ahead of the the new Mountain West deal that was announced back in I think in the late fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously also nowhere close to the worst Power Five deal. So the, the Americans always kind of been in that middle area. Um, I, I I think you know mike made the mike wanted a long-term deal the mountain west didn't want a long-term deal they wanted to wait and see how things were the mountain west is also tv heavy it's not as online heavy there's no espn there's no espn plus in there so they're different different you know different conferences have had different strategies i don't know if this tv deal um 
means any more. I mean, obviously, if you're getting more money, it means good in, in light of what's going on. But uh, I don't know how much more than that, depending on, you know, once it gets started and it still has to build up. You mentioned you talked to Danny White and what he had to say earlier. What was he like talking to him about all this? As we do a lot of uncertainty and even other athletic directors, maybe in the American and the tone that they're feeling. I mean, they're coming off a great year in football, obviously, and that's the big concern is about when's football going to get played. But what was kind of the tone with them overall as you talked to Danny, maybe other athletic directors in the within the conference? Well, Danny's a lot more, I don't know, I guess just cautious with his words in general, doesn't want to say anything's for sure happening, still waiting to see and allow what's happening. Uh, they haven't had any pay cuts in the athletic department yet like other schools have had. Um He's still kind of waiting and seeing. He's he's always kind of careful with what he's saying, and when he says something, when he when he says something that draws headlines, it's usually on purpose. Um, so he was generally cautious about a lot of things. Nicole Auerbach and I have a, another story coming out probably later this week on on the group of five and stuff like that, and um, it'll be kind of involved in that. So he he was he wasn't you know as open. I don't know. He's just he's not in general as open of a a guy as some other athletic directors or even especially Michael Resco who, who will, you know, talk your ear off if you want to. Um, so Danny's being cautious with things. He's optimistic though. He, you know, he says he, he's not thinking UCF's going to make cuts. It, it's more about just a pause on the planned growth uh, that they had. Yeah, Chris, and you kind of mentioned it there at the end because of UCF's recent success, certainly in football and also because of its, its gigantic population, uh, do you get the sense that UCF is in a better position financially uh, to really go unscathed uh, through this possibly than those the the, the, the Tulsa's and the smaller schools and the, the lower end G5 schools, even the lower end AAC schools? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Tulsa even a year or so ago, they asked their coaches, including Philip Montgomery, to, to take a pay cut just based on where the budget was at the time in general. And, and Tulsa loved the new TV deal because it meant a lot more money for them. But uh, especially a place like Tulsa, they, they had had some budget issues for a while. And, and UCF's not in, in a position like that. They've Basically, the message that Danny wanted to get across is that it, it, the, if anything gets held back it's or, or cut, it's going to be more of a pause on the growth that they have planned rather than any sort of uh, cuts, at least where things stand right now. If, if football doesn't happen, then we have a whole other conversation. But but that that was the sense I got talking to Danny. You hear that, guys? I, We're going to have to wait on the lazy river. It's a real bummer. That's Oh, yeah. That, that's okay. I didn't, ask, I didn't ask about that one specifically, but but that is an example of – I don't know exactly where the construction stands on that, but uh, that's an exa- that's a, it's a possible example of something that, that may be looked at. I don't know about the construction, but I do know that all the funds have already been like extracted because those were all like private funding. So I know they have the money for it. I don't know about the construction though. Um, I have a que- I did have a question about something you wrote earlier on Monday. You you did a really cool survey, I thought, uh, with G five fan. Like you got seventeen hundred responses from fans across uh, G five fan bases, asking general questions about the G five, and then asking conference specific questions for those fans about how they like their commissioner and, and how they like their TV deal. And, and, you know, just, you know, as a, as a, you know, as a, as an example, a lot of fans want an expanded playoff, which is no surprise. Uh, and in the AAC, it seems like most fans would rate Mike Oresco's performance to somewhere between good to very good, which 
I think some UCF fans are probably tearing their hair out hearing that, but I think it's true. I, I think going through this, what did you look at uh, either among the very broad questions for the G5 fans or just the AAC-specific questions? What what are the answers that maybe surprised you most? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if there was much that surprised me. I mean, I asked if, if the group of five should have its own playoff. Not that I was just generally curious what the what the temperature was on that, and that was eighty five percent said no, um, not a surprise there. I was honestly thought it'd be more than that. Did not want it, but I was I was um, the, the, uh, the I don't know how the best way to put this. So I asked about if you had to pay to to watch your team on a streaming service, how likely would you do that? And sixty percent was four or five very likely to to do it and i was kind of surprised that seemed high to me the other hand you have to pay for a subscription to the athletics so maybe the people who are doing the survey are already willing to pay for that kind of stuff um i asked about uh, name image likeness which obviously came out wednesday morning if you think that would help or hurt the group of five or, or a mixture of that almost half of the people said it's going to further the power five group of five divide but about a third said it'll help some hurt others, you know, and I, I think that's probably where it's going to end up happening. I mean, Miami of Ohio announced a partnership w w with someone who works on athlete brands. Obviously UCF went through the situation. Um, I don't remember the kid's name, but, but the punter who had the YouTube show, that's the kind of thing that would be legal now. And so it could help certain people. It could hurt other people. And yeah, as it relates to the American, uh, let me uh, cut this out. Almost about 70% rated Oresco a, a three or a four out of five. Only 12% out of five. He he was he was among the most popular commissioners based on each group of five conference. And I know UCF fans are, are not big fans, but generally everybody else in the league has been. And, and, and when I asked about the, the TV situation in the group of five, uh, I'm sorry, for the, the American, most of that was a three to four. Not five was very low, but above average fans of, of, the, of the current TV situation, speaking of something we just talked about. Yeah, I think it was pretty interesting. What? One of the other questions that you asked was you asked everyone in the in those respective conferences, where would you rank your conference among the among the G5? And the American was almost was almost unanimously number 1. And what I thought was interesting about it was that even the Mountain West fans, uh the majority of them thought did not think that their conference was was the top G5 conference, 54%, I think had them at two. And I think that the, the the fact that these conferences are kind of, or at least in terms of the fan bases, are stratifying themselves kind of lends that idea to the strength of the programs within them of possibly, if there's any sort of conference realignment down the road, which I think we're all holding our breath for 2024, 2025 now, um, that there might be another round of schools that move up, don't you think? The thing with realignment is is you don't really know what's going to drive it. What drove it last time was TV, and everybody wanted a network, a conference TV deal. And now, you know, people are moving away from TV. The Pac-12 network was a disaster. Um, cable subscri subscriptions keep going down. It's not like you want, you don't necessarily need to add a market anymore like you did a decade ago, which which is what sparked a lot of that realignment. You, you know, it, it maybe this, you know, it's, it's, it's possible the fallout from this pandemic leads to more regional realignment. That Talking to people even with Conference USA, that doesn't seem to be on the table right now. But it's something that, that people have wondered long term 
if this is something that could could lead to that. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, you you don't know. The, the American is in that spot where they're they're in they're in the middle. They're they're clearly above the other group of five leagues when it comes to what they pay their coaches, what, what they're doing on the field, uh, TV deal stuff like that. But they're still pretty far away from somebody else in terms of the, the money coming in. So it's kind of a, a weird a weird spot, and it's why I think more than anything, more than realignment, even though I know that's the big thing, especially for UCF, I think the big thing will be playoff expansion. And if there, if there's an automatic spot for the group of five in there, and say that goes to the American most years, uh, then you could really start to see possibly a, a shift in, in feelings. I think that's where it's going to start. Could you see realignment within conferences like the Sun Belt, for example, in Conference USA after all this is done? Because there's going to be financial hits here, and you, you know, you, and as we've talked a lot about in this interview, and obviously you and Nicole have written about about geography scheduling. I'm wondering, could you see in the future some realignment as far as geography friendly to help also financially instead of, you know, especially if if if, if you know certain conferences lose certain programs. Could you see that maybe in the forefront as far as realignment within the group of fives? So that that's, I mean, like, I know a lot of people have tried to merge, like, basically split up the Sun Belt and Conference USA into two more geographic conferences. The thing is, the Sun Belt is already pretty good geographically. It's really only Conference USA that's a mess because they stretch from El Paso to Norfolk. Uh, even into to West Virginia. They're all over the place. I have not gotten a sense from anybody in the Sun Belt that they're interested in any sort of trading of teams with, with, with Conference USA because I think they, they're in a pretty good they're in a pretty good spot in terms of the number of teams I think they're comfortable with and who they have. I mean, they added Appalachian State and Georgia Southern from FCS, and those are two of the best programs in the league now. So I don't know if there's outside of a, a couple of teams, I don't know if there's really a ton of appetite to move things around from the Sun Belt. Conference USA absolutely would make sense. And Conference USA, as we wrote in our story, might look at something like divisions within the conference for Olympic sports. So you don't have to have your volleyball team in in Huntington, West Virginia, travel to El Paso or a baseball team do something like that. So you might see, even just within Conference USA, either fewer conference games or or uh, divisions in other sports to, to get around that that travel issue I, I think that's more likely to happen than something like than something like realignment at least anytime soon Chris Vanini you can find his work on uh, the athletic uh, guys uh, Brian and Eric did you have any other things that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to ask about because we're just past the 20 minute mark yeah I'm, I'm good I really appreciate Chris coming on and and um, given uh, just some really thorough answers. Appreciate that, man. I'm yeah. good, Chris, man. That was awesome. Cool. All right, Chris Vanitti from The Athletic. Uh, catch his work there on The Athletic as well. And uh, and before we let you go, Chris, um, I know you said that something that you, you and Nicole Auerbach were working on another, something about the Group of Five coming up this week. What are some of the other projects that you'll be working on that I, that you think UCF fans might be interested in coming down the pike? Yeah, well, we, we got a lot. We got a ton of stuff off of name, image, likeness. Wednesday, uh, Nicole had a good look at what it means moving forward. Andy Staples had a column on, on uh, some of the problems with it. Got a lot of good coverage on that. We've got a series of uh, uh, coaching stuff next week. We're going to have some interesting stories on coaches who had weird jobs outside of coaching. Obviously, there's not a lot of sports going on, so we can't necessarily write about that, but we're going to start up our state of the program 
uh, off-season preview series pretty soon where we go through, uh, I think, 70-plus teams. I'll be doing a bunch of group of five. I'll, I'll be doing one on UCF uh, later in May, uh, kind of my program breakdown of where everything stands. So that's some stuff to look forward to, I think, uh, moving forward. All right, and we can and uh, and just so everyone knows how how they can reach out to you. Where's the best way? Where's the best place to find you, Chris? Uh, just on Twitter at Chris Vanini, C H R I S V A N N I N I. All right, folks, and uh, and if you're looking for Chris's work as well, make sure you follow him at the Athletic. Uh, subscribing to the Athletic is, uh, it, believe me, to, just to read Chris Chris's stuff is more than worth the price, and you get everything else that uh, that you can get from your region as well as some of the best coverage in sports out there. Chris Vanini from The Athletic, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, continue to stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to hit you up down the line and actually talk about some football, hopefully sooner rather than later. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks again to Chris, and you can follow him on Twitter, of course, at Chris Vanini and all of his work at theathletic.com. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you talk yeah, about somebody was. who's sharp and plugged in, man. It's always fun to talk with somebody who you know who who gives us the lay of the land i feel i we get so locked into the ucf bubble so many times that it's hard to contextualize what's going on and chris does a good job of that he does i mean the survey that he talked about where mike Oresco is approved by the american conference fans uh you know i think that's a great you know to get a perspective what is it like outside of ucf and i think chris and others do a great job there at the athletic my biggest takeaway, and I think it's going to be interesting, right? There's, there's so much speculation, which is Murph's favorite thing, is people speculate, <laughs> will there be a season? What kind of season will there be? Like, I know, I, even though we're doing this audio, I know I can just see, I was envisioning Murph's facial reaction when you asked Chris Benini about, give me a predict when are we going to have football? I can just see Murph <laughs> cringing. <laughs> just wanted to kind of come up. If he could strangle you, Jeff, I think he would have. Um, no, I, but, well, I, no, I respect Chris's answer because – he did sort of he, he wasn't he was not he didn't say like it's definitely going to be this he gave you his personal opinion but I, I think also he understands like he's not dr fauci or dr burks but he gave you an honest answer from his point of view which i thought was all we really needed at that right. point right. right but i think the interesting thing and we touched on the scheduling and the fact that there's a lot of g5 programs, you know because there's been talk about well maybe the, hey we'll just do a conference schedule only well, there's a lot of issues that come with that. That's not as simple as it sounds because yeah. – and, and Chris brought up the point. You know, there's a lot of G5 programs that depend on that non-conference schedule to make money, right? Like the one uh, – the, the going up to a Michigan or going up to Oklahoma or playing that one-time buying game or, you know, whatever. You know, those are money impact games for a lot of programs in the G5. They could get hurt. By the fact that there's not a non-con, if there's no non-conference, which I think presents a ton of issues. Like, you know, it's funny everybody just keeps bringing up like, oh, we'll just do conference schedules, no problem. Like, well, what happens to Notre Dame and BYU in that scenario? Like, do they not have a season? Like, so to and and and, and maybe just hanging out with Murph has kind of won me over. I used to be the optimist on a lot of this stuff, but. I hate. I do. I, I do understand where Murph gets from with some of the annoying parts about. Oh, we'll just do a. We'll just do a conference schedule. No big deal. Like there is no issues. Like no, there are issues with that. There are programs that depend on non-conference games. There's programs like Notre Dame, BYU, and there's other independents, Army, um, that are not in a conference. So how are they going to yeah. play a football schedule? Or, or even I, I hate saying it, but it's true. Like South Florida, like they're scheduled to go to Austin to play Texas this year. That's a money maker for them. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So that's not as simple for a South Florida to just give up that game with Texas, for example. That's a big game for them, and I'm sure a lot of G5 programs have that issue. So, look, I think there's a lot of questions, and I'm, I'm on Murph's side in that, you know, it's great for all of us to speculate and come up with different theories, but uh, there's a lot of things that could change, and there's a lot of things we still don't know. And I think for people to just say, well, we'll just push it back to spring, well, that's not that easy because – Odds are maybe things could be worse in the spring. I mean, usually a lot of people get sick in the spring. What if you still can't have fans? Uh, what happens there? So I think there's still a lot of questions and mysteries. Uh, but, well, you know, obviously they're going to try to get a football season. But I also think it's not as simple as, hey, we'll drop the non-conference schedule and we'll just move on. It's not that simple. That creates yeah. a lot of problems and financial issues, especially in the group of five. Yeah, the thing for me that he brought up was scary was what if the virus flares up again in the winter? Right. And the further back you push football season, the likelier it is that that might rear its ugly head while games are taking place. What do you think, Brian? I thought just Chris overall. I, I really enjoy how he he didn't give you a, you know he's not here to give you hot takes. He's really here to really give you facts and what and, not, and that's why that's why everyone listens to us right for the hot takes. Well, I, I, yeah, right. Yeah, that's what that's why podcast is so popular. <laughs> right. Um, but Chris, Chris is not out here on a limb trying to like connect the dots for you. He really is just kind of giving you what he knows, and I think that's that's an honest way to go about it. It's not a, it's not a sexy or a sizzly, a, a, like a a, a very um, um, uh, fancy way to go about it, but it's honest, and I think that's what people want. Um, I thought he's just very thorough and um, and very knowledgeable. It was great. So I think that the biggest thing is is that you know Chris. The, uh, you know, and, and Nicole and everybody over there at the athletic, they do the legwork on this kind of stuff. And the the big takeaway that I come from, that I come at it is, you know, the, the answer, the correct answer to all these questions that everyone has right now on April 29th uh, is we don't know. And I always say that's the least satisfying answer in the history of the world, but it's true. We just don't know. And we're in an environment where, especially especially on, you know, in, in the modern communication environment where we want to know right now and right. and we need to we need to know. We look for every single little scrap of speculation or information from any kind of official sounding source. Um, you, you know, the fact is he's you know, they've done legwork and they said we don't know. We just have to wait and see. And I think that, you know, the fact that he brought up. You know, we may have some crystallization of the picture in May, but again, it's you know we're not doing this on college football's timeline. We're doing this on on COVID nineteen's timeline. Yeah, but the, the virus sets is, the, again, the though, virus but, sets but the again, timeline. But but here's the thing: it's May. It's the point is there doesn't have to be a decision right now, and I think that's what Chris brought up. We probably doesn't have to be a decision until mid June. Who right. knows what happens in June? So we don't need to be making decisions today. We don't need to be freaking out about decisions today. Time will figure itself out, and things could pop up that change your perspective between now and the fall. Well, to, I mean, all right. To be fair, you're right about that. But I think the one thing that we all, that all three of us know, and Chris knows as well, is that people who work in athletic administration, right? They want to have as much lead time as possible. They they hate making decisions based on incomplete information, and when you're facing those two converging freight trains of time and money, right? They want to try and make sure that they that that they have enough time to to tell their coaches and administrators and the and the and, and the student athletes and everything to get ready 
or not. They don't want to put it. Obviously, their first, I really do, their, their first order of business is they do not want to put anyone into any undue danger, but um, they also understand that, you know, if, if if the entire athletic department at, like, say, Eastern Michigan folds, they don't want it to happen on their watch, you know? So it's, and, and these people are also extremely resistant to change. And uh, and and so they're all operating by the seat of their pants here. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I get that. But you know what? This is why they get paid all that money is to make these decisions in crisis. Uh, so we're going to find out. I, I, I really think we are. This is going to be the great um, the great filter. Right. We're going to find out which athletic departments were the ones who were well run and which ones weren't. I think we're already seeing the ones that aren't being well run right now. Possibly, right. you know, Old Dominion, Cincinnati. You got to drop a sport right now. I mean, say what you want to about, you know, is COVID nineteen an excuse for dropping those sports? Bottom line is, you had them going this long. So, um, you, you know, it, it, it that that tells me that they're having quite a bit of trouble. And when you know, and we're going to look back at this time, maybe a year from now, and 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 say, wow, well, look what we wondered back then. In the end, maybe we should have known X, Y, and Z. But anyway, thanks again to um, Chris Vanini from The Athletic for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, Chris Vanini on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter, by the way. He's fantastic. So uh, all the latest stuff that's up there, make sure you um, make sure you follow him for more. All right. When we get back, uh, we are going to talk about some NFL draft news. I know you, but I know you guys have been looking forward to that. Uh, for quite some time now. Uh, one NFL player, one player drafted into the NFL draft by, from UCF. That's Gabe Davis. What's the latest on the uh, free agent market? We'll be updating you on that and plenty more as we continue. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Uh, follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret. Also, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And you can follow us on blackandgoldbanneret.com, where we have our UCF NFL free agent signing tracker and plenty of coverage from the 2020 NFL draft, which I don't know about you guys. I loved how stripped down the draft was. It was just, they, they completely dispensed, obviously, with the pomp and circumstance. I mean, do you saw the plans that they were going to have? It was supposed to be in Vegas, right? And they were going to bring out the draft picks up to the podium, like using a boat in the, in the, uh, uh, on the fountain at the Bellagio or something, right? I, I mean, it was, it was preposterously over the top. Instead, it just ended up being the world's biggest Zoom call or the world's most watched Zoom call. And I loved it. I thought the coverage was fantastic. Uh, and what probably the highlight of it was in the fourth round when uh, we heard Gabe Davis's name called uh, as an NFL uh, draftee. Gabe goes to the Buffalo Bills uh, in the fourth round. Um, he, he went on day three. Some folks were hoping that he would go day two. Didn't work out that way because it turns out that he, he was projected to go day, th- day three, pick number 128 to Buffalo, um, as he should have been. And uh, and yeah, so, so Gabe goes to Buffalo. We're going to talk about the free agent signings in a little bit. But first, Brian Murphy, Gabe Davis, Buffalo Bills. Your outlook, what did you think about it? Is this a good spot for him? I, I think it's an interesting spot. Obviously, people will say, well, who's his quarterback? And his quarterback is Josh Allen uh, for now, although they drafted Jake Fromm, and the opinions there can can vary. 
But if it's if it's Jake if it's uh, if it's Josh Allen, uh, obviously he's got a huge arm, and Gabe runs really well, like really you know he runs deep routes quite often. So that would seem to be a match. Although obviously there's questions about Josh Allen's accuracy. Um, I, I think overall it's 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 a fine place for him to learn. Uh, and what I mean by that is there are, there are reasons why that Gabe lasted until the fourth round. I think one of the key ones was because of UCF's passing offense system, uh, which runs a, a lot of posts and a lot of nine routes and a lot of slants. He didn't run a extremely versatile route tree this year. And the fact that he didn't, and he, no, he does need to learn how to run a route tree, a full one, in the NFL level is one of the reasons why he was drafted as late as he was. And yet he lands in Buffalo, where he will be teamed with arguably the best route runner in the NFL, in Stephon Diggs. Yeah. And John Brown, for a guy who's mostly known as a deep threat track star kind of speed guy, he runs really good routes for a guy of his skill set. I mean, he runs deep routes. Gabe runs deep routes, and they should they they should be able to learn. And he should be able to learn from them and really shore up his weaknesses and become a better player. Where does he fit among in the offensive system? I mean. He's, you know, he's at absolute, absolute least or most the, the third receiver in an offense that's got Josh Allen, Josh Allen and quarterback and then Devin Singletary, where they're going to, you know, run the ball for most of November and December because you don't really throw the ball much in Buffalo in the winter. Um, but I think in time, in like three years, I, I, I see him being I look at him and I can see him being like an Alshon Jeffrey type of player, maybe not with that uh, amazing amount of. Not as not as amazing with the leaping ability and the pure athleticism that Alshon had, but just in terms of the body, fighting for balls, uh, the long strides, um, you know, touchdown targets. He's the kind of player I could see him becoming. Eric, you made a great point, and I want to credit OS Nice, the Orlando Sentinel, for tweeting this out. According to Spot Track, uh, Davis's rookie contract is slotted to be in the range of. $3.3 million with a $699,000 signing bonus. And you brought up the great point. Like, for all the people out there who are saying that Gabe leaving was a mistake, that's a lot of money he's going to get paid, right? Yeah. I wish I <laughs> – yeah, that's a good deal. Fourth round. Like, anybody that thinks he made a mistake uh, leaving early is an idiot. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, no, seriously. You Like, you need your head examined because – Anybody that's I know I'll take 699k from... off the top. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, you know, and, and and you know, to me, his stock is never going to be much higher. And Brian just brought up some of the reasons why he was a fourth rounder. That wasn't going to improve going back to UCF. Uh, so, in anything, you could make the argument. And I remember this. It was Friday night. Uh, Brian was following the Green Bay Packers as a yep. possibility because that was always some chatter right Murph before mm-hmm. the draft that they liked them and you were kind of eyeing that late third round pick as a possibility because at that time Green Bay hadn't selected a wide receiver and they we thought anyway at least Turns the, out they yeah, never did no they didn't because the Green Bay Packers decided to use the 2020 draft to improve the 2023 Green Bay Packers instead of the 2020 <laughs> Packers which is a very interesting take away of using the draft but nonetheless um you know, that's the only reason why he dropped to the fourth round. I mean, he's got some flaws, but it's, he skyrocketed up to the fourth round. I mean, who knows a year from now if he was even draftable. Maybe he wasn't. This was, by the way, a deep, deep wide receiving class. And, by the way, next year is going to be also very deep. So uh, I think he made the right move. He landed right about where everybody thought he would, which was some point in the fourth round. I think Brian does a great a job, does a good job there breaking down 
the pluses and minuses of Buffalo. I'm personally not a fan of that spot because I'm not a Josh Allen fan. I think that's a bad fit. Maybe Jake Fromm replaces him down the road. I do have, and not to mention there's bad weather in Buffalo, you know, two, three months a year. No, oh, by the way, he's got to spend a lot of time in Buffalo, New York, which is, you know, that's bad. But I mean, despite that, despite that, um, you're, you know, the good news is you can spend the off season back here in Florida, you know, real a good city with weather that actually has things to do. But I think hopefully it'll work out for him. Hopefully it'll work out for him. I kind of see him kind of like what Traquan is right now with New Orleans, where maybe once in a while, every nine, ten games, maybe you, you pop in, catch a touchdown, have a big game, but not really be consistent, at least not for in the first couple of years. Uh, I think you also uh, – one other guy that's also up there too that you uh, – I, I forget if you mentioned um, Brian and Eric was Cole Beasley who's also up there. Um, yeah, pretty in- guy. Pretty interesting uh, group of team. You know, he, Gabe is going to be paired with um, – obviously you mentioned Devin Singletary uh, who he played against from FAU back in the day. And also on the other side of the ball, Ed Oliver, guy from Houston. Uh, is an, a, is is a starter for Buffalo as a starter last year. So, I, I mean, it looks like there's some pretty decent talent. I mean, I think you're right. The, the, the big question is, will Josh Allen be, you know, throw anything more than a swing out? Um, we just don't know at this point. Yeah, nothing well, says, right, nothing, right, nothing says he can't. Right, but nothing right, says he can't improve. But, you know, their, their base offense is three wideouts and one running back. So, um, yeah, we just, it, it's... I, I think there are a lot worse places that he could have gone. I, it's not the best place, but obviously they thought he was pretty good. So you know, if if that's the team that wants him, hey, he's going to get his shot. That's the that's the thing I always say is oh, that yes. is is guys always say the same thing. And you guys have talked to players. All I want is a shot. If I get a shot and I don't make it, I can live with that. Gabe's going to get a shot. You know. And, and look, it's not like the wide receiving core is like, oh man, you're never going to be able to crack that list. So right, you know. He, he's just got to get better, and I, he's in a good spot from that standpoint. And he'll he'll work hard, and, and you know, hey man, it's exciting. You're in the NFL. That's a pretty cool feeling. So, yeah. and a team that could win the division this year. Who knows? They could. They're they were a playoff team last year. Could be a playoff team again. Will probably be the probably be the pick by everybody to win that Eastern Division. So, um, all things considered, it's good to be Gabe Davis. So uh, I, I I'm very happy for him. And like Murph has said a thousand times, that's why. No, you should have no issues with any player that declares early uh, and, and get compensated and get paid, and, and he, he's, he's in a good spot. Yeah, uh, We were mildly surprised, I think, that Gabe was the only UCF Knight taken in the 2020 NFL draft. I think uh, the, guy that we th- the guy that we thought would most likely be the second Knight taken was uh, Nivelle Clark. So we're going to go over the undrafted free agents now. Nivelle goes to the um, Minnesota Vikings after a little bit of time that went by, but uh, uh, he signs with Minnesota. He will be a teammate of Mike Hughes up in um, Minneapolis. Um, really interesting situation up there, isn't it, Brian Murphy and Neville Clark going to the Vikes? I mean, it's fun in the fact that he is reunited with, with Mike Hughes, obviously played together really as the starting you know cornerbacks for most of 2017. Um, as far as a, a landing spot, it's going to be uh, certainly a battle for him. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a roster. It's, it's, it's a franchise in Minnesota that needed to upgrade its, its cornerback depth. And, and even Mike Hughes will tell you, like, he needs to get better as well. He's one of the reasons why this team drafted three corners 
in the first five rounds. Uh, they, they needed to address that position. Um, so there's a lot of guys that they've added already. Um, they obviously they lost Xavier Rhodes during during the during the offseason, but you could say, well, that may not be a huge negative considering the, the season he had in 2019. Um, but now they've added three other guys, and now they add Novella as well. Um, they obviously have a bunch of guys. They have some guys returning, um, so it's going to be pretty crowded. And I wonder, uh, you know, is there a spot for him somewhere to sort of fill in? I don't. It's hard to see one right now because when you take three cornerbacks in front of him in the actual draft, like. Those spots are gone. Mike Hughes has got a roster spot as well, um, and he's really not going to be like a nickelback type of guy. We've talked about how Novell is pretty—he's pretty pigeonholed into being a you know a man-on-man press corner. Certainly, he could learn other you know other things, but that's really his strength. I just don't know if long term that's a great fit for him. They're a little shallow at safety. Do you think that they might try to move him over to that side? Did he ever play safety at UCF? Because I will look that up real quickly. Because I don't, I wasn't here. I don't think uh, before, he. I don't think he did. Uh, 2015. I know uh, he's. I mean, he played. He started playing in 2015, right? Yeah, yeah. 15. Um. So it says this is as defensive back. So I, I'm gonna assume not. But uh, I'll, I'll look into that. I mean, certainly he would have the size. He has the physical ability to track as a safety. Um, he's not a great tackler, but he's not willing he's, he's willing to at least hit you. Um, I, I still think as a, as a corner or safety, you know, certainly his lack of speed may actually help him more at safety because he doesn't need to keep up with, with a, a wide receiver on every single play. Um, but I, I, I don't know how, how he'll take yeah. that. It did I'm, say he did play safety in high school, but that's a while ago. But still, yeah, he does have some experience. Right. Um, that yeah, it's back in you know 2014 and before. Um, yeah, that could be something. I I just think it's going to be difficult to him for him to to sort of make that roster unless he has a um, a great camp, which again he may not be able to have the chance to have a great camp um, because of what we're right. currently dealing with. The other thing, I mean, yeah, obviously all that notwithstanding, but the other thing is that he's he's one of those guys who's going to have to really show out on special teams too. And that's yeah. the other thing is yeah. that a lot and of these guys are going to have to do that. Gabe, that was great to hear Gabe say that in his talk with the Buffalo media after he was drafted, right? Right right after he was drafted and before he went to catch passes from McKenzie Milton, he talked for about 12 minutes for the Buffalo media and said, you know, he's obviously willing to do anything. Special teams is fine. So uh, that's going to help you get on the field, you know, sooner. And, and so and really every rookie should have that mindset. I mean, every single one who's not like a top 15 pick should be ready if if they're if they're asked to go play special teams. Uh, speaking of guys who should probably who you would think would have to really show out on special teams, uh, Nate Evans going to the Jacksonville Jaguars as an unsigned as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, like we said in the in the in the post about this, uh, Murph. Jacksonville's been a good home for a lot of uh, for a lot of former Knights, Blake Bortles, AJ Boye. Uh, Dredrick Snelson is at least currently on the roster. Storm Johnson got a shot there too. Um, yeah, we talked about before the draft about Nate being a, a tweener. Um, how would he fit into that uh, that defensive scheme? Do you think? Yeah, I wonder. We should have we should have our old our old colleague Zach Goodall uh, on to talk about this yeah. one. But uh, uh, I, I do wonder if he is solely going to be a special teams player. Uh, because of that tweener status of like he's just not tall enough 
and he has the weight, but he's not he's not big enough, and he's also maybe probably not like quick enough to be a, to be an NFL linebacker. But he could certainly make it through effort and through special teams. I, I don't really see him fitting, not with the team specifically. I don't really know about that situation as much as just his overall skill set. I think he's really more of if you know he's more of a special teamer than anything else. I don't really see him being a a full time starting linebacker in the NFL. But I will get I will give Nate this, and uh, uh, we hope to possibly talk to him soon. Uh, and so we'll we'll see what he has to say when uh, when, when we talk to him. Uh, but I, he has been working. If you if you look at his Instagram, uh, he really hasn't been hasn't not been posting uh, any self congratulatory any self congratulatory stuff. It's really just been him uh, doing in in the gym, and uh, he's continued to work and. And try to get stronger during this time, so that can only help. You know, he's got a great work ethic and a fantastic attitude and, and a great leadership. Um, but I do wonder if he just if he's going to fit anywhere, no matter the team, just because of his body and his skill set. Eric, what do you make of these two defensive guys here? I mean, we've seen you know, uh, you know UCF is is still producing some pretty good defensive talent, even despite the fact that. You know, the defensive time has been that bend but don't break scheme that we always hear about. And, you know, maybe that doesn't show too well on too well on the scoreboard. But these guys have put together good enough tape to get looks, right? Well, yeah, I mean, not good enough to get drafted, but, get you know, at least to sign a free agent contract. I mean, I, some would argue that maybe the tape uh, doesn't uh, maybe he's not as, you know, great. As we thought, right? Because you know, we one thing we we have learned, and Peter King has written about this on his Monday quarterback, and has been on mostly a lot of radio shows. And the big thing about this draft is that there, there was more tape watching than ever before by scouts. Because well, that's all you can do. So, right. um, you know, and there's some that think actually that that's better. That they think there will be less mistakes because of that. That sometimes by going to a pro day, you overthink things. Uh, and you over kind of complicated. So who knows? We won't know that for a couple years. But I think of the two, I think I, I think Merv kind of perfectly described the the Viking fit. That's a little odd. I think Neville, now with him, would might have hurt him too. He's, he had some off-field discretions. I think going back in 2017, wasn't he? Uh, uh, I think suspended in 2017, wasn't yeah, he? Like, let's be honest. All right, he got caught smoking weed. Eh. <laughs> yeah. No, but, well, you say Ten that, years but, ago, I mean, we would have cared. Yeah, but no, but he, but here's the thing though, right? Like if you're a marquee player, that doesn't matter. But if you're a fringe player, that could make a difference. I don't think it I mean, matters no, either way. But but like, but that shouldn't hold him back. Like that shouldn't be. That should not be the reason why he goes undrafted. That was literally almost three years ago, and and it's and it's 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 such a minor infraction. It really is in this time a minor infraction. Uh, that it I really should. I will but you say. Never know with these I, NFL teams, you never know. Oh, I understand. I am surprised that Neville didn't get drafted. I'm so surprised that there was an article on Neville that we'll never see because I had already written up his his you know Neville Clark drafted in the so so round by so so team that never gets published. <laughs> um, I yeah, but you're right. But Thanks, no, I think Vikings. That, uh, that, that doesn't have an impact on Neville. Right. So, uh, uh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. The Jaguars linebacker situation is kind of interesting to me there, and I think he's got a shot there only because you know the Jaguars have gotten rid of a lot of guys. You know, maybe he can sneak in there as a backup, maybe be a special teams guy for the Jaguars. So if you ask me about the two situations, I kind of like Nate better of the two. And we'll add with Nate. So the Jaguars spent a, a couple of high-profile picks uh, or, or, or drafted a couple of high-profile players uh, 
add linebacker in this draft. And in their second their second pick in the first round, they got the the kid from LSU, Clavon uh, Chason or Kalevon Chason. And then uh, in the fourth round, they got Shaquille Quarterman, who's a, a pretty well known name down here from Miami. Uh, that was in the fourth round after Gabe Davis got picked, which I know people at UCF were sort of flouting about the fact that a UCF player got drafted before a Miami player did. Um, but, you know, the fact that they did add Quarterman and especially Chase on, uh, it would make things tougher. Obviously, Jacksonville also has Miles Jack, I believe, so has Miles Jack as well. So yeah. there's some crowding there. Uh, like I said, I think his, his way to playing time is special teams, and I don't think he'll have yeah. a problem with that. Which takes us to the third and, so far as we know, uh, final uh, mm-hmm. undrafted free agent signing, Adrian Killens, who went to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that he was the first one to go, uh, and and that was announced virtually immediately after the conclusion of the draft. So clearly the Eagles had, um, had their eyes on him, as did a number of other teams, according to uh, Adrian's agent. So apparently... Um, the Eagles gave him the best offer. Here's why I like this fit. All right, couple of reasons. First one is he's going to um, he's going to Philadelphia. He's working under Doug Peterson's system. Doug Peterson is an Andy Reid disciple, and it kind of, and it kind of makes me excited that maybe my Tyreek Hill comparison will probably come to fruition. Okay, I'm selfish <laughs> about that. All right, number two. All right, and this is probably the most the most accurate one. The Eagles are super thin at running back. All right, mm-hmm. Miles. I don't San- know if I agree with that. I well, well, here, that. well, here you go, Miles Sanders, second round pick. Okay, but, but last year was a, was a rookie. Boston Scott, sixth round pick. They suffered some injury problems. They have Corey Clement. Uh, they have, uh, and then they have Elijah Holyfield, who actually comes over to them uh, from Carolina. Who, by the way, is Evander Holyfield's uh, son. And Adrian can kind of fit in. Possibly, if if he can work his way up, and again, we talk about the importance of special teams when you're an undrafted free agent, can work his way up. He's going to be, and he's also going to be in this, in I think the perfect system for him. That sort of, uh, that modified West Coast spread that Peterson runs, um, that's not far off of what Andy Reid was running this past year. Uh, obviously, with Kansas City, they've evolved this offense to, to a, a new dimension. It's not the old Joe Montana West Coast; it's something totally new. Um, and uh, and also, there, there's there might be some opportunity for Adrian to uh, show off his wares uh, in the passing game too. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Jackson. Um, they're a little. It looks like they're a little thin uh, in the back end at wide receiver. Although they did draft Jalen Rager. Um, they also have Greg Ward Jr. back there. Remember the former Houston quarterback? They traded for the uh, 49er receiver Goodwin. Uh, who's uh, yeah, Marquise well, Goodwin. Who uh, you know, yeah. but he's had some injury problems in the past. So I don't know. It feels like there's there there might be a spot for AK in Philadelphia. What do you think, Brian? Well, I'll have Eric go first since he sort of oh. uh, put back on your insinuation. Okay, I'll I'll let Eric make fun of me. Go ahead. No, I mean, look, I think those some people would say that. I mean, Doug Peterson, if, if anybody is willing to use a free agent running back, it is Doug Peterson. Uh, yeah. So you're right about that. The The issue is, I my, I think Miles Sanders is really good, and he really showed signs of that in the second half last year. I think he's the feature guy, and I think Boston Scott is legit, too. I think the question that you brought up is special teams. Can Killings make a special uh, impact there? Because I think there's another runner they're going to use there. And Sal Palantonio mentioned this on Scott Van Pelt's show, and that's Jalen Hurts. 
They took Jalen Hurts at the second round to be a quarterback, but he's going to use him on the field, and he's going to use his leg. So that's almost like an extra running back, and I think Hurts will be a factor in that. So I just don't know, again, could Killings make the team? Yeah. I think special teams is probably his best shot to make an impact. I just don't there's – there's just a lot of football. I don't know if there's enough footballs there for him to have a significant role. They do like Corey Clement. Now, to your point, he's been injury-prone. Maybe they cut a Corey Clement, something like that. Ideally, having watched the Eagles a lot, can Adrian Killings be a Darren Sproyles type? That's the question. For him to be successful offensively, can he beat Darren Sproyles, where he's a, a weapon out of the backfield? But that means he also has to pass protect as well against bigger guys in the NFL. And those are things he's going to have to work on, uh, and we'll see. We'll just have to see. And we're and here's the thing. We don't know if the Eagles are done making moves or not. That's the other right. thing. What if they add a Devontae Freeman later on in the offseason or a Deion Lewis or whoever? Uh, you got to hope if you're Adrian that you don't. They don't. And then you got to Merce Point. You got to hope you can impress people on a camp or a preseason or whatever. If there's none of that, they're not just going to throw them out there if, if all of a sudden it's a quick turnaround and they got to play regular season games. So, he might just spent the first year if he makes the team probably on like a practice squad. By the way, uh, well, we we do we do know that AK even at five seven will not be the shortest guy in the Philadelphia backfield. That honor belongs to Boston Scott, who is all right. of five foot six. Uh, go ahead, Murph. Well, uh, so yeah, a lot of things there. Uh, the, the Darren Sproles comparison is I get it because you you need to do a bunch of different things. You need to run and catch and be a dynamic punt returner. What helps Sproles is that for a guy his size, he was incredibly tough, really nice. hard to bring down. He had huge thighs, uh, and Adrian is not built like that. Adrian is more of a streamlined 170-pounder, 165-pounder, where Darren Sproles was so much of a lower-gravity uh, guy. It was low-center-of-gravity guy. It was really hard to tackle him. Uh, Miles Sanders, I-, I like him. I don't think he is as much of a roadblock as maybe Eric – said I, his athleticism is really good and he, he he can make the phenomenal play he does make a lot of simple mistakes where if you watch their games and then watch like the film which by the way right now nfl game pass is free and it's amazing uh that you is that you can watch him sort of not always like pick the right hole and he doesn't always have great vision for where to run or, or where, where to hit it um, so I wonder if that maybe annoys coaches at some points where he's leaving yards on the field. And I do wonder if that comes back to bite him later on. I, I'm not as big of a fan of Boston Scott or Corey Clement. I think Boston Scott's a pretty uh, – he can be, uh, you know, a decent player, but Corey Clement's clearly just a guy. Um, so I think there's space for him in the, in the backfield. But there there should be a place for him in, in gadget play – for AK – in gadget plays or kick return, part return. I mean, when you get the like his speed, because of his speed, he has a a, a trait that that that's greater and and more game changing, and and, and that, that teams can use more so than anything that Clark has, more so than anything that Gabe Davis has. He has something that is really a wild card, and that's his speed. Uh, and I just think if you put him anywhere in open space, you can maybe pop something. You know, once or twice a game, he's never going to be an every down back, nor should he ever be. He should never run the middle ever again, ever, ever again. <laughs> um, we have seen him pass block quite a bit at UCF. 
I mean, at least he did it. I'm not going to say he was outstanding, but he showed the willingness and the toughness to do it and did sometimes did it well. Um, but really, his his money's going to be made as a dynamic gadget player on special teams or on the offense. And I think there's space in that offense for him to do that because I don't think there's someone like him in that rotation. And I'm not as wowed with Boston Scott and Miles Sanders as some others are, and Eric, and but others too. I mean, others too. <laughs> um, is, by the way, Miles Sanders is a rookie. It was a rookie year. Like, get, get, get the kid a little slack, man. Holy smokes. Uh, I, I, yeah, well, and then he's better in year two. That's totally fine. Maybe he's better in year two. But there was yeah. – he just left, left a lot of yards on the field. Yeah. Two things. The, now, Jeff, I think this is a good point now. To your point, Doug Peterson is the type of coach, to Murph's point, that can use – would know how to use Adrian in a gadget play, right? Right. And you've brought you brought up the Tyreek Hill example. While Murph, may, you know, that's a little maybe it's a stretch. At the same time, I think the concept is similar in that, hey, Andy Reid figured out how to use Tyreek Hill, go you know in very different ways. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is a way better player. I'm not suggesting they're the same player, but Andy Reid knows how to be creative with certain players and certain styles. And Doug Peterson learned from Andy Reid. So I think Jeff, that's a, a, that's. The thing that's got in Adrian's two things that has in Adrian's best go, is going for him very well is that is, that's a positive. He's got a coach in Doug Peterson that is not afraid to be imaginative with the playbook. So I think that does help him. I mean, they used Greg Ward last year as a wide receiver, right? So I think that does help Adrian. Uh, so I hope you guys are right because I'm an Adrian fan. Let me let me just say for the record, I'm always just pessimistic on how you fit in a backfield situation when there's a ton of backs and you don't know what's going to happen. But you're right. I mean, it is not – it's not like Hall of Famers in front of him. The other thing he's got going for him is he's going to play the Giants twice a year, and that's – now you should feast on that. <laughs> uh, now, now, Eric. Yeah, easy. Easy. Uh, one, one little note, Eric. I, I know you mentioned Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis actually signed with the Giants a couple of days ago. Oh, my God. Well, that explodes. I know, yeah. Going to, going, to the, uh, going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, please no. <laughs> I, uh, I'll implement to Barkley. Wow, okay. I didn't know that. Right. I'm back him I, uh, up. Anyway, go ahead, Murph. I'll I'm bring, sorry. I'll bring up the fact that Philadelphia's return men last year uh, consisted of uh, Darren Sproles, who is now retired. I believe he's retired, right? Um, he's not uh, listed on the, act, on the active depth that, chart. I believe, yes. Yeah. Nelson Aguilar, which is funny. Corey Clement, who, again, should not be on, like, punt and kick returns because the guy, like, runs like a 4-6. Um, I will say, as far as we're looking, and, and, and they also had Boston Scott back there, but if Boston Scott's the number two running back in this offense, do they really want him to do that? Um, I will say that they, you know, the drafting of Jalen Rager would certainly provide a outlet or would provide, a, provide Philadelphia a guy to do to be a punt and kick returner if they wanted one. I know he's a first rounder, but he is still a rookie, and you could see him being used on punt returns, kick returns. That that could block AK because Rager, you know, does have four three speed. Um, but again, it, it's it, he has a shot there. There's certainly I like the fit more with AK in Philly than in any other of the spots we talked about with Nate in Jacksonville or Navelle in Minnesota. I like yeah. AK's choice the best. Sproles did retire, by the way. He took a front office yeah. job with the Eagles. But um, yeah, I, 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 it, it pains me to say this as a Giants fan, but a great spot for AK to land. Um, yeah. I, 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 I think out of out of everybody, if of all the free agents, based on what we've seen, obviously we hope all of them sign in. And we have no word yet on some of the other guys, like Jordan Johnson. Uh, unfortunately, I can't believe no one's taken a shot on him yet. But 
Um, Isn't that nuts? I, I can't believe it. Talk about that, Jeff. Yeah, okay, that, let's, Murph, let, let's talk about that. Because Murph, I, I know that you've been in touch with JJ, right? So what's the what's the deal? <laughs> what's what the hell is going on? You know what's so funny is after the draft, you know, goes it goes down, and after the Mister Relevance picked, we're all waiting now with bated breath to see who's going where. And and that time, those few hours after the draft, are chaotic times when you think you're going to have a handful of guys signed. And it was weird for UCF to see kind of how slow it was. You had you had AK sign quickly right away, and then I think Nate Evans was second, and then Navelle Clark was third, but he was like an hour after the draft, and then that was it. And I was it was curious to me just because you had seen projections with with Jordan Johnson being projected as a pr- priority free agent signee, and like just looking at him, uh, uh, you know, a four year starter and a guy who, if you're running a, a zone blocking scheme a move center, a guy who can pull either way really well. I mean, you saw how often UCF ran behind him uh, in their schemes this year. I'm surprised that he doesn't get a look. So I reached out to JJ uh, on Saturday night because I was just curious. We hadn't seen anything or heard anything about him. And and he said he had not heard from any team. Uh, and, uh, and since then, there's been no news on that front. So I assume that Jordan Johnson has not heard from any teams. And that's just that's really unfortunate, and I know Jordan's going to be great in whatever path he chooses uh, professionally in life, be it in football or elsewhere, because he's a, just a tr- phenomenal human being. Um, but I just wonder, like, he he could really work in a zone in a, in a zone run scheme and a zone blocking scheme. I, I I don't understand how he can't at least give him a chance. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever. He's, you know, he reminds me of like he would be like the perfect center for like. Remember the late '90s Denver Broncos? Yeah, like right. the quintessential zone, zone running team. You know, Terrell Davis and all. I know there's a lot more teams that run that. Uh, obviously, in the 20 years since then, but um, yeah, it, which seems unbelievable. 20 years already, but um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. One thing I, I do hope he latches on because remember when we talked to him preseason, I asked him what do you want to be when you grow up. He says. I want to be I want to be a sports commentator, and I thought, well, well, geez, I mean, you know, I hope you can at least uh, spend a few years in the NFL before you come take our jobs, because I mean, geez, right? I mean, he's gonna be he's gonna be good at like you said, he's gonna be good at whatever he does, whatever he puts yeah. his mind to. He'll be fine, Mike. But let me ask you both this though, because like I said, they've watched tape. Do you think? And we obviously we've talked about the offensive line struggles at times last year when they, especially in the losses, could it be that they, that people see things in the in the tape? Just didn't make didn't make Jordan look good offensively. I mean that that's you know I, I am surprised that to not have at least a free agent deal. I clearly they saw something in the tape that they didn't like. I have to believe no. Jeff, you want to feel that first? Before I, you know, I... okay. I, I I think that. Well, I mean, you and I debated on Twitter you know, last week about you know what I think about the fact that he is one of those fringe guys who was probably affected by the fact that there was no. Uh, pro day. That's I don't want to relitigate that, but well, no. It's a quick the quick synopsis. You believe that G five programs got hurt by the draft? Uh, no, 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 not G five, no not G five, non power five. So, so you're talking G five and talking division. I'm talking FCS. Okay. Every everyone who's not in right. the power right. conference. Right, 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 right. Okay, because right. Right. and and I and I looked at this. It, it, it and if you if you run the numbers of the last five NFL drafts this year approximately 10 more Power 5 conference players 
went in the NFL draft this year compared to each of the last four years. And I don't have the tweet pulled up. I'm forgiving, but usually it's about right, it's right. about seventy to seventy one percent of the NFL dra- of the NFL draft is Power Five conference players. The rest, obviously, being G five, FCS, Division two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This year, it was up to seventy five percent, which is a pretty clear yeah, uh, outlier. The, well, the reason we disagreed, the reason we disagreed is you don't point out the fact you have unique circumstances like a, a legendary team like LSU that had ties the NFL draft record with 14 players. That has an, a, a factor into those numbers, and it's hard to make that argument when you got guys from LeMoyne, Ryan, and Dayton going in the first three to four rounds. I well, mean, I, like, so I, I, I get that. I, I, I certainly get that point, but, but here's my point. Is we talk all the time about the financial discrepancies between the Power Five and the non-Power Five, and now and again, I just want to re-emphasize: we're not just talking about non-Power Five in Division One. I'm also talking about FCS. I'm also talking about D2 because we've seen D2, D3 guys go in the NFL draft before too, Um, including this year. I think only one guy from D2 though. But anyway. The resources that those schools have above all other things is, uh, and this is the part that you don't see, and I actually discussed this with Robert Stieg, who works for the Daily Stampede, is... Hey, what, would, what would they know about an NFL draft? They don't get anybody drafted. That, <laughs> okay. All right, all right. But but one thing we talked about, and I, and, I, and I think it was a pretty interesting thing, that the Power 5 programs have invested in tremendous resources for their players, especially with regard to video. Like, I saw it when George O'Leary came here and my old boss, John Kavadik, came in. One of UCF's biggest investments that nobody saw was this massive digital video server system that could not only pull and push game film to other schools, but could also easily, with a few clicks, spit out tape for any player that they wanted to look at, any sort of matchup that they wanted. It was a massive database. And, uh, and, and this is what, this, is, this does not get talked about. The only schools that have that are the schools that have the resources to get it and keep it updated. UCF is one of the fortunate G5 schools that does have that, but all of the Power 5 schools have that because they had the money to install it years ago and they've been using it. I would venture a guess that UCF is one of the few G5 schools that actually has that resource yeah, available. That's fine. So, so I, I mean, that was my point about the, the not P5, non-P5 thing in particular. With regards to JJ, though, yeah. I still think, individually speaking, because the, the tape thing doesn't really matter, I think that he is one guy who probably could have benefited from getting FaceTime with some scouts at a pro day because – as we all know, like everyone fawns over guys running the 40 and doing the shuttle. That's not what pro days are for. What pro days are for is basically job interviews with coaches and with coaches and scouts. Brian, I think it was you that brought up the point that um, who was it that was uh, there was a coach, an NFL coach who was, oh, it's with Tristan Hill. Right. right? Rod Marinelli. And Rod Tristan Marinelli. Hill. Right. Rod Marinelli was running those defensive line drills at the at the uh, at the Nicholson Fieldhouse. And lo and behold, Rod Marinelli, the defensive coach for the Dallas Cowboys, they draft Tristan Hill. It was essentially that wasn't to, that wasn't to show off Tristan Hill and, and Rod Marinelli's not coming out there being wow I think I'm going to draft this guy. No, they already had him targeted, and 
but there were a lot of other guys that they could have targeted. But they went, but they went and they got him because he basically had the right job interview with Rod Marinelli that time. That's what that's for. JJ and well, and, and some of these. That's why he right. right. But there, but right. but no other teams really had the opportunity to do that. Maybe that could have pushed JJ over the top with someone. We don't Maybe. know. So I, I do think that it would that not having those pro days because of COVID nineteen was at least in part a disadvantage working against him. Now you could also say, well, that you know that's partially maybe that's also because he's a college spread offense center. He doesn't really have yeah. to hold his blocks very yeah, long. Thing, although, although I will say that's a that's a that's a bit of a misnomer because UCF actually in one of his seasons UCF ran for more yards than they ever had in history, and he's the center on a predominantly running team. So. I don't know. I, it, it just it still baffles me. I, I just don't know why he has he hasn't gotten a look yet. But his size and his weight, he's not big enough to be a, a power run offensive guy. He is very system specific as far as where he would need to go. And again, that system is again the system is a zone blocking scheme. Like again, it's not like teams don't run that in the NFL. There's players there, there's teams that run that. So, but he is he is marginalized a little bit by the fact that he wouldn't work in every scheme. Still, just the experience and the type of person he is, and that is something that maybe enough GMs didn't get to know because they didn't get to talk to him or at least come face to face with him. You know, you can go Zoom chats or whatever, but you don't get that that pure interaction. Yeah. Um, so even though he was marginalized in terms of where what teams could draft him, what types of offenses could draft him, it was still surprising to see him just not even get a ring apparently. Um, because you know he could fit somewhere in this league. Uh, right. That was odd, and uh, and it's sort of. Um, push back a little bit on Eric's point about guys that didn't hurt. Uh, Adam Troutman from Dayton, and then Kyle Duggar from is it Lenoir? Well, is it, it Lenoir? I think it's Lenoir Ryan. Ryan. Both those guys are at the combine, and that matters too. Okay, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. The combine helps a little bit there. I mean, but I mean, there's, there's just other guys. I would also point out uh, there was no Ole Miss players taken in this draft. So it's not like my whole point is I think it does, and I agree with you. I think it hurts individuals. Certain individuals are were hurt by not having a pro day. I don't think it's a G five P five thing. I don't think it's a you know non power five issue here. I think it's just individuals, and I think I do. I will say this. I think George O'Leary. I will say this with him and his staff. You you talk about the video stuff, but they also ran pro set offenses and they had schemes defensively where players were looking good on tape and can adapt and Brian just brought up a point not that this is the coach's responsibility because their job is to win games but the current system is pretty simplistic and that helps to win games but that may not translate to be looking good on tape in the in the NFL maybe but then again guys have been getting drafted from UCF who were on that tape from before so I don't know maybe it's just no, but, but yeah but yeah, I, I would like to know guys. right well yeah quite possibly but they worked it but they got their the primary tape under Frost and Heupel the last couple of sure. years. That's the thing. And the, uh, the other thing too, and I don't know, Murph, maybe you know a good place to look this up. I would like to look at which NFL teams run predominantly zone blocking schemes and then look at the centers that they have. Like, are, like they, they, there may only be like what, maybe 10 teams that do that to the level where JJ could fit in and maybe they all have 10 centers that they're happy with. Like that's only yeah, 10 yeah. jobs in the whole league, you know? I guess, uh, and this is not, this is kind of cherry picking, you know, but we know that UCF has had some guys in the league 
uh, from the offensive line, Ja Reed and Josh Titton come to mind. And I will say that that Wyatt Miller did sign with the Jets as an undrafted free agent last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, if I think about it, like UCF offensive linemen that have gone, certainly none of them, none have been drafted. UCF offensive linemen have not been drafted uh, during the the Frost hypo errors of 2016. Now I say that's cherry picking because the last UCF offensive lineman that was drafted was 2011. But maybe there's as time goes on, we'll see if this is more of a trend and more not as much of a small sample size we're only talking about four or five years here but maybe there's something to that 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 there it works for college offense it works for the offenses that UCF runs now with the widespread wide wide extra large spread offense that UCF runs uh but it doesn't translate to the pro game and that hurts the guys in the long in the long run um but but certainly from Heupel and Frost they don't have offensive linemen on their on their uh their draft results board Hey, Eric, you know which team ran the third most zone-blocking uh, run plays in the NFL last year? We got the Eagles. The Miami Dolphins. Right, brother. Yeah. So, you never know. never know. And that's the other thing. Somebody might get hurt. You know, we, we just don't know what's yeah. going to happen. So, it, you know, there's the number one ability that coaches look for is availability. That's an old... Boy, that's a great stat that Murph just like relayed on us, and I think he deserves credit for that. I did not realize that. That's yeah, I'd like a great to, I'd, stat. We should look that up. John Reed is the last offensive lineman get drafted at UCF twenty eleven. He went in the third round mm-hmm. uh, in twenty eleven. That is pretty good, Murph. Before that, Josh Sitton was a fourth round pick in oh eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a pretty and, telling and, thing. And again, again, some guys. I, I don't know everything about the undrafted free agents. That, that's different, but. And I, I'm sure I could look that up. I just don't have it on. But, hand, and, but and by the way, that's also not a lot of guys. <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's also just not that much of a time frame. And so uh, I don't want to 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 stress like, well, UCF doesn't create offensive linemen who are NFL worthy now. Like, well, I don't really know that. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I. No, I, I don't what we do it. know, what we do know is they have produced defensive backs and wide receivers. That's yeah, clearly speed been the guys. strength of this program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I I understand that. I'm uh. I'm like I'm like looking now at undrafted free agents from UCF history. This is great. Oh boy. What rabbit hole have I fallen into? Live research as it goes on. Anyway. Oh my god, live research. Uh, this is great podcasting. Let's get out of here before we get. All right. So, uh if anything does break with JJ or any of the other uh free agents, we'll be sure to fo- we, you'll be sure to see it first at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. That is our most updated uh and most uh well active social media channel. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret as well for a lot of our in-depth stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts for free. Uh, follow us individually as well on Twitter. Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric Lopez Elo. Spokes underscore Murphy. Uh, and of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com. Your home for UCF news uh, wherever you may be part of the SB Nation uh, network. So as we wrap it up here, um, for Eric... And Brian, I'm Jeff. Continue to stay safe out there. We uh, we, we know that there's a lot of folks out there who are uh, who are kind of struggling through this whole process. But you know, I don't know. Hopefully, we'll have a light at the end of the tunnel, maybe sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, in the meantime, take care of yourself and yours. Uh, this right. has been. Don't worry. By the way, Murph will tweet out any information he finds out that he didn't get to in this tweet as uh, yes. this episode as he's checks. Say it now. Go for oh, it. Man. Oh, you found it. Go ahead. Under so, the gun. I- I well, I because because I know if I don't mention it now, people are going to be like, "Why did you forget about this guy?" <laughs> uh, it's going to be nuts. Right. Remember, so let's not overlook the McRae brothers.
Okay, both the McCray True. brothers were undrafted free agents. Both of them played in the NFL, but I believe still their do last play in the NFL. Was, right, but 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 their last year was twenty, I believe twenty thirteen. Um, right. And you had you had, Char, you had Charlie Hewlett, who is a long snapper for the Browns or was for the Browns. His last year was I believe twenty thirteen as well. Um, Patrick Brown, who is like twenty tens. So even among the undrafted free agents, among the four or five years here of, of Heupel and Frost. There hasn't been somebody who's played in the NFL. Now, again, this is still an amazingly small amount of time. I mean, you could draft a guy in 2016, and he may not just be ready to be to, to play. But I, but I guess you know we'll see how it goes. I think come back in five years, and maybe there's something to this. Wow, five years? That's a long time yeah. for an episode. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, you can check me out on Eric Lopez, Eloy, as Jeff mentioned. A lot of content coming out on Black and Gold Banneret. Lots of great stuff coming up. Some cool interviews we're working on coming out as well. I was also on Mark Moses' show talking some UCF and also talk, reviewing the movie Stupor with Dave Batista. So you can check that out with Mark Moses, our good friend there. Whoa, know, that's a deep a- cut. <laughs> yeah. Big, big one here. Big debate. Like, would you, If you only can pick one movie of these two to watch, Stupor or Hobbs and Shaw. If you're forced to what pick one, Murph, which one are you picking? Oh man, uh, <laughs> boy, I, nothing. Uh, mute. Oh come on, no, that's not. <laughs> no, I, I, I've seen I've seen Hobbs and Shaw, uh, so I guess I'll go with that because I know I, I I I'll take the the movie I know more than the one I don't uh, when I know <laughs> maybe my my expectations for both. Uh, aren't very high, um, so no, I'll take I'll take Hobbs and Shaw, but that is not an endorsement. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Also, you can check out our Adam Amin interview, which we've gotten great feedback. Which yes, I appreciate, by the way. thanks yeah. again to Adam. That was a fantastic was interview. I, yeah, I, I, I was on that show, so uh, I, I was listening to it after the podcast. After when the guys put the podcast this week, I, I love that. That was so good with him not only telling you what he was thinking about and feeling about. And, and how he was going about the game during the game, but also like after the game and, and talking about the emotional stuff with his with his father. And, and it's, it was really, really great. And for Adam Amin to give us more than an hour, that was uh, fantastic. Yeah. It really uh, was, really was. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah, make sure you watch that because it was really one of the highlights of one of the great shows we've ever done here on uh, Black and Gold Banner. And uh, thanks again to Eric for getting that done. So uh, again- He meant listening, by the way. He didn't mean watch, he meant listen. Listen, yeah, and you can, you can read an article about the Griffin brothers. We had them on Friday. On what was that they, day? Was right, that they're Martin? speaking this weekend. That's why. Right. Yeah, they're doing the uh, they're doing the commencement, right? They're doing the commencement, the virtual uh, commencement for UCF on Saturday. Uh, UCF has its uh, thirteen or how many ever how many other ceremonies they are, and they are the virtual commencement celebration speakers. And so we got to talk to them on Monday, and uh, I wrote up a thing uh, that's on the website as well. You can uh, you can check out. I think it was. It was really good because they gave you insight into what they want their stories to be. And obviously, if you know the story of Shaquem and Shaquille, you then you know what they're going to tap into. But there are other things there, too, that maybe you didn't know that they want to really stress to people and stress to the uh, to the, to the graduates of, of the class of 2020. So they were fantastic. Uh, they were fantastic on Monday. Yeah. And they even got a shout out from J.J. Watt on Twitter. So, um, Well, it's because they, they said they've been trying to learn – They've been trying to like listen to good good orators, and they've they've said that JJ Watt kind of fits their style. Hmm. Not bad. 
I'll go for it. Cool, right? Because isn't our boy Jeremy like part of that graduating class? He is. Right? Jeremy right. Brenner, congratulations. He's going to be. Yeah, he's a Texans fan. He's a Texans fan. So JJ Watt, you're going to watch him graduate. That's pretty cool. Somebody relay that to Jeremy. We'll have to let him know. So, again, follow us at UCF underscore banner at facebook.com slash black and gold banner at and black and gold banner For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you later on in the week.